You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. After just 44 days in office, Liz Truss stood down as UK Prime Minister on Friday morning our time. Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. But her resignation isn't the only shocking development in the turmoil that has beset Downing Street of late. Words started to spread quickly that former PM Boris Johnson was eyeing off a comeback, but then decided against it. So could he still be eyeing off the top job, even though the ex-Chancellor Rishi Sunak has been confirmed as the new PM overnight? Today we look at the likelihood of Boris's return to power and whether Liz was unfairly targeted or the creator of her own demise. But first in news headlines for Tuesday, October 25. Rishi Sunak has become the new leader of the UK Conservative Party and new Prime Minister, the first PM of Indian heritage. Sunak became the last man standing when rival Penny Mordaunt dropped out of the race. Sunak telling his fellow MPs they must unite or die, saying they faced an existential crisis and profound economic challenge, calling for stability and unity. While Sunak was able to secure the leadership without much challenge, some Conservatives say that the turmoil caused over the past three months from Boris Johnson's resignation and Liz Truss lasting only six weeks on the job, including the economic damage her leadership caused, will spell the end of the Conservatives in power come the next election. The Murray River is expected to peak at Echukamoama today on the northern Victorian border, with the Bureau predicting rain bombs across the region. Numerous watch and act warnings have been declared for the Goulburn River downstream of Shepparton, Lake Ilden to Seymour and the Campaspe River downstream of Rochester, with between 30 and 60 millimetres of rain predicted. This comes just a day after major flooding impacted areas of New South Wales, including Moree, Gunnedah, Narrabri, Hilston, Hay and Condoblin. Treasurer Jim Chalmers will hand down his first budget tonight, telling Australians not to expect too much cash being splashed as the country navigates the global cost of living crisis. Pre-budget announcements have included the extension of paid parental leave from 18 weeks to 26, but that will be a gradual increase, with two weeks added from July 2024, another two weeks from July 25, and the final two weeks from July 26. The childcare subsidy will also be increased for 90% of families who earn up to $80,000 a year, and then taper down by 5% for every extra $5,000 a family earns over that. The government will also introduce legislation based on the recommendations from the Aged Care Royal Commission will move forward with the NBN promise to 1.5 million homes and businesses, giving them the choice to upgrade to faster fibre broadband by 2025. And for the first time, the Treasury has been asked to model the impact of climate change on the economy as part of the budget. 
Green Senator Lydia Thorpe is asking to be referred to the Parliamentary Privileges Committee so they can investigate her relationship with a former bikie. It was revealed last week that Senator Thorpe had briefly dated the former boss of the Rebels motorcycle gang while also at the same time sitting on a parliamentary law reform committee that was receiving confidential information about organised crime. She immediately stepped down as the party's deputy leader after the news broke. She's now asked to be referred to the Privileges Committee saying she's more than willing to participate in any inquiry. U2 lead singer Bono has revealed the identity of the half-brother he only found out about in the year 2000. Back in July, Bono announced that he had a half-brother but didn't say who he was, only that he loves and adores him. Now Bono has explained that when he was younger, his father had an affair with his mother's sister, so his cousin Scott is actually his half-brother. He says his mother didn't know she passed away when he was just 14, but says he picked up on the fact that his father's behaviour had made his mother sad. Bono is releasing a memoir next month called Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story, which goes into more detail about the singer's bumpy relationship with his father. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. How mad is it? How desensitised we are to this chaos. Amazing how used we are to the cogs of government not moving at all. How accustomed we are to the self-serving lack of talent that constitutes the British Conservative Party. That's comedian Jonathan Pye summing up how many Brits feel about their latest Prime Minister, Liz Truss. When she came to power just over a month ago, she'd done so without resounding support from her own party. She'd won over the Conservative Party members with a radical agenda that included tax cuts for high earners, a plan she said would kickstart economic growth, tax policy that almost entirely catered to members of the Conservative Party rather than reflecting the needs of the UK, those currently experiencing a cost-of-living crisis. Despite not being top of her party's wish list in a leader, she did end up getting enough votes. And from that point, there was a sense that she would restore some stability to the office. Stability that had been lacking during Boris Johnson's reign of scandal, from the Brexit negotiation debacle to his many affairs, and finally, his parties at 10 Downing Street during COVID lockdown. But from her very first days in power, cracks started to appear in Liz Truss's form of governing. She appointed only those into government who had supported her, creating a divide in the party and some pretty strong enemies. There was also some lack of expertise in her chosen cabinet, Truss having to fire the two most senior positions below her own. The Chancellor, after the failed mini-budget, which saw the pound plummet after it was revealed that those tax cuts for the top end of town were unfunded. And then the Home Secretary for sending a parliamentary document to a colleague via her personal email. Also, where Boris Johnson was a natural charismatic speaker, Truss struggled in interviews and at press conferences, constantly picked up for misstepping with her words if she even managed to get them out in the moment. So it's right that we get value for money and I'm always making sure that we deliver that. Can you give me an example? Well, not not at the moment. We're continually reviewing to make sure... We're getting good value for money, and I think that's what taxpayers expect. To deal with the issue of high taxes, but we went too far and too fast. This is a wave of U-turns, unprecedented in scale and speed. Do you feel humiliated? I feel, first of all, 
that I did make mistakes. Trust was immune from a vote of no confidence until next year. But with so much pressure on her poor performance out of the gate, on Thursday, October 20, London time, just 44 days into her prime ministership, Liz Truss stepped down in front of 10 Downing Street and handed in her resignation. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. With the country reeling after having witnessed their shortest-serving Prime Minister in history, well, one who didn't die just after taking office, the machine of the Conservative Party ramped up once again to find itself another new leader, this time fast-tracking the process, seeing as the groundwork had already been done so recently. So who would it be? Rishi Sunak was the favourite to take the role when Truss's tax promises won over the last few on the fence. He was slightly out of favour with the Conservative Party's stalwarts, who were still upset at him for resigning his ministerial position when Johnson was still in power, forcing the change of leadership. Boris still a favourite despite his moral compass being questioned on many an occasion. Other party MPs Penny Mordaunt and Ben Wallace were also in the running, but then rumours started to spread. Could Boris be back? Comedian and talk show host Graham Norton let it be known that he wasn't impressed by the news. Who's it going to be next? Well, sources say it could be Penny Mordaunt. Yeah, for the party's sake. It could be Rishi Sunak for the country's sake. Or even Boris Johnson. (laughs) For f***'s sake. Journalists followed Boris, who had hastily returned from a holiday in the Caribbean, and hit the phones, trying to get the 100 or more votes needed to put his hat in the ring again. At least six current MPs tweeted that they were behind a return of Boris to the big chair, with both the Northern Ireland Secretary and the Minister for State for International Trade confirming he had actually secured that magic 100, and he was up for it. Sky News went to Boris Johnson's constituency to ask locals how they felt about their MP potentially returning as Prime Minister. And needless to say, the news wasn't all well received. Here in Uxbridge today, um, Boris Johnson's constituency. Don't you ever mention that name in front of me, that filthy piece of toe rag? But a caller to LBC, a British talkback radio station, seemed very happy that Boris was back and made it clear that race was playing a role in why the party didn't want Rishi Sunak in charge. So we want Boris back, and Boris has the best chance of winning the general election next time. So Rishi's not going to win it. Rishi's not even British, in most people's opinion. He's got American allegiance. His family's American. They're Indian business people. He'll go and live in America, no doubt. He doesn't love England like Boris does. But then yesterday morning, we heard that Boris had taken himself out of the race. He released a statement saying... There is a very good chance that I would be successful in the election with Conservative Party members and that I could indeed be back in Downing Street on Friday. You can't govern effectively unless you have a united party in Parliament. Explaining that he had reached out to both Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt on Sunday, he explained that he'd not been able to garner their support if he were to win. 
Sadly, we have not been able to work things out. Therefore, I am afraid the best thing is that I do not allow my nomination to go forward and commit my support to whoever succeeds. I believe I have much to offer, but I am afraid that this is simply not the right time. So who is Rishi Sunak? And do Johnson's words feel like he's not ruling out another tilt at the leadership in the future? Dr. Rob Manwaring is an associate professor at Flinders University's College of Business, Government and Law. Rob, why did Boris go so hard this past weekend, only to not go through with the push to get back into the leadership position? Was it really about not getting Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt on side? It's very much hard to say about Boris Johnson, given, I think, his reputation for being, let's just say, distant with the truth at times. I mean, he's lied on serial occasions. So in one sense, getting to the heart of what has really occurred over the weekend is probably very hard to say. I mean, what you would just generally say is is two main things. One is that it's absolute carnage for the Conservative Party at the moment and overall for the country. It's completely unedifying. And this is, of course... Not just we'll see the third British Prime Minister within a year, but we've all seen something like two or three chancellors in the same sort of period. And also, like, I think we're on our fourth Home Secretary as well. This is incredible political instability. So the big question mark is whether the Johnson thing is, I think one reading in the party is that when Johnson flew back from his holiday in the Caribbean, I think it was, he has a core, a smaller, substantial minority support within the party. So some of his real loyalists, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, but actually there were enough now dissenting voices in the party who just said it would be an utter mistake to put Boris Johnson back into kind of office. And I think ultimately enough of those kind of voices probably kind of made it kind of clear he might not have made the numbers there. And I think that level of dissent, I mean, people talked about being political death of the party if Johnson had come back. And the other dimension just to add to that of course is that there's currently a parliamentary inquiry taking place around Boris Johnson's behaviour which how that inquiry transpires one potential outcome would have been another political crisis because they would have the power to suspend him as an MP if they'd upheld the kind of findings against him so again all of that was overhanging and that actually made I think the Johnson comeback much harder. Now, there might be some people who say it takes quite an ego for someone who's literally just been kicked out of the job to make a comeback that fast, right? But then again, we've kind of seen that happen in Australia through the Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard, Kevin Rudd years. And what we saw after that was the Labor Party really struggled to get support from Australians after that because there was a complete lack of faith and trust in how the party was run. Do you think that's happening in the UK right now, that if they were to go to a general election right now, that the Conservative Party might not be re-elected? Yeah, well, there's two main sort of dimensions to that. One is just general decline of trust. And that's a phenomenon that's happening in many advanced industrial democracies. So many countries are seeing a kind of backlash against politicians and they're seeing a backlash against some of the mainstream political parties. So that's why, in fact, you're seeing sort of radical right and other leaders come to the fore. So Italy is a classic case now of where a leader with actually a fascist background has become sort of party leader. So in the UK, all of this political crisis and instability on top of the economic crisis, I think will see plummeting levels of trust in the democratic system. And that's actually a real problem. And then to the question about what would happen if there was a general election tomorrow in the UK, is the Conservatives would be absolutely hammered. 
Now, you mentioned that investigation into Boris Johnson's behaviour whilst he was Prime Minister. If that were to kind of happen and pass and he doesn't find himself in any trouble due to that, will he make another tilt at the leadership only because his statement that he released on Sunday said that now is just not the right time? And that suggests that maybe there will one day be a right time. I mean, one of the things that sort of both critics and probably fans of, of Boris Johnson would say is that he's certainly not short on ego and hubris. He does seem to have this sort of almost Churchillian view of himself about his role in being the messiah of kind of British politics. So you wouldn't necessarily rule it out. And maybe the thinking there would be now, well, look, let's hand over the party to someone like Rishi Sunak who will probably lose the next general election anyway, and then maybe he might bob along and come back. But it's pretty hard to say. I mean, at the moment, the Conservative Party is incredibly factionally divided. It's splintered heavily, certainly since the referendum to leave the European Union. And I think that there has been a sort of political cost on Johnson's kind of career because of his behaviour and certainly the party gate kind of scandals where he really lied and misled around and in fact faced uh, kind of charges from the police for breaking COVID regulations. And I think he's ultimately seen as too tarnished, although many within the Conservative side will say actually he was a serial winner, he won a mandate and he was actually far more competent than Liz Truss was as Prime Minister. So some would like to see him, and probably he would too, as a route back. It probably becomes a bit harder, but you certainly wouldn't want to rule it out. Can we talk about Liz for a second? She seemed quite destined to fail from the beginning, but could she have lasted had she not gone through with those unfunded tax cuts? What actually sort of set the fail train for her in motion? Well, just those, I think. I mean, there was, I suppose, a pathway where she could have been far more successful than she was. I mean, generally, she's a disastrous leader and probably, you know, the most ineffectual British Prime Minister since the Second World War. There were a couple of main issues the way that I read it. One is what I call the representation gap, is that by and large, she won the Tory electoral campaign against Rishi Sunak by winning the base of the Conservative Party. So the Conservative Party generally, those sort of 180,000 people who are members of the Conservative Party, they tend to be older, they tend to be white, they tend to be male, they're very affluent, and they live in the south of England. So their views and concerns and needs are quite disparate to the rest of the country. And in one sense, there was a bit of a Faustian pact by Liz Truss in one sense to win their votes. She sort of promises them this fairy tale, low tax kind of agenda, which of course hit the rubber, hit the road. So as soon as that mini budget comes through and Kwasi Kwarteng, her chancellor, pushed through these unfunded tax cuts, it totally lacked credibility. So there was this sort of gap between her level of representation between the Conservative Party base and then what the kind of more orthodox economic kind of thinking was. And then the other thing is I think she just totally misread or overplayed what that agenda was and was looking for far more radical measures, whereas I think she could have still implemented some form of austerity and tax cuts, but in a far more nuanced way. And if she'd done that and been smarter and savvier, then probably she might well still have been there. Rishi Sunak was declared the new Conservative leader overnight after rival Penny Mordaunt dropped out of the running too, becoming Britain's third PM in three months and delivering a victory speech which lasted just 86 seconds and already has people referring to him as the Rishbot. I am humbled and honoured to have the support of my parliamentary colleagues and to be elected as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. 
I will work day in, day out to deliver for the British people. So who is Rishi Sunak? Is he actually any different to Boris Johnson? After all, Sunak has been a Boris Johnson backer for many years. He was pro-Brexit, anti-lockdown, and was also under investigation for breaking lockdown laws. Rob says he's also probably one of the richest people in the British Parliament right now. His interesting thing is one is his sort of political career and his sort of governing agenda, and the other is like his background of things, and they've, they've intersected in interesting ways. So he is by and far, we think, the most wealthy MP sitting in the British Parliament. He's wife is an heiress to an Indian billionaire kind of family. So he, in one sense, he's has married into and lives an extraordinarily affluent kind of lifestyle and has been sort of mocked for that. I think he famously bought quite an expensive pair of trainers and was mocked for it. But more seriously, what was problematic is that his wife claimed non-DOM status, no, so non-domiciliary tax status. So in effect, what that meant is that as a household that they weren't paying tax into the British economy because of their tax status. It's a way of avoiding kind of tax load. And Sunak was widely criticised for this because he oversaw kind of tax changes and increases to tax, for example, national insurance contributions, when he himself is very affluent and in one sense did everything he could to reduce his tax burden in the UK. So critics would say he's out of touch with the everyday lived experiences of many Brits, and that's really problematic. But on his sort of political reputation, that's a really interesting kind of question because As you rightly pointed out, I mean, he was for a long time a Johnson kind of loyalist. But what I think made him slightly more interesting in some ways is that certainly during the first couple of years of COVID, he was prepared to sort of break with some of the conservative orthodox thinking around accepting higher borrowing. And generally, he's seen as having handled Britain's initial economic response to COVID as quite well. So I think moving forward, what you might well see is that he will face a number of really tricky decisions now about how to kind of rebuild the British economy. And the one statistic that really flies out that came out in recent weeks, it was a very interesting kind of statistic came that Mark Kearney, the former governor of the Bank of England, said. He said that in 2016, the British economy was 90% the size of Germany's. Today, it's about 70% the size of Germany's. So since the decision to leave the European Union, the economic shrinkage of the British economy is massive. And so any new prime minister, and Rishi Sunak is likely to be in this position, will have some really difficult decisions as kind of taxes will no doubt have to probably rise. And then mortgages will also be rising too because of inflation. Hopefully, Rishi Sunak manages to stay in the job for longer than his predecessor. Or maybe we'll be hearing more of this from Jonathan Pye. Liz Truss being Prime Minister was like a 20-year-old supply teacher in a rough comprehensive, shitting themselves in the middle of a GCSE geography lesson and then attempting to continue with the class. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. (laughs) 
If you believe in women's media, if you believe in a purpose-driven media company like Mamma Mia, whose core purpose is to make the world a better place for women and girls, please consider subscribing to Mamma Mia. A portion of our profits goes to educating girls in some of the most vulnerable communities in the world through our charity partners. It costs as little as $5.75 a month. For more information, see the link in our show notes.